0: Welcome to the Institute of World Politics podcast. IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. To learn more, please visit www.iwp.edu. Good afternoon. Uh, Thank you for joining us for this lecture at the Institute of World Politics. Uh, For those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. We have five master's degree programs, 18 certificates of study, and a new doctoral program. We also offer the opportunity to take a single course without having to pay an entire semester's worth of tuition cost. Uh, one can also audit such a course at a lower cost. Um, if you're interested in learning more about us, please feel free to speak to one of our staff at the conclusion of this event. Uh, this event today is sponsored by the Center for Intermarium Studies and the Kosciuszko Chair of Polish Studies at IWP. Today's speaker is Frannik Viachorka. He is the Vice President of the Digital Communication Network. He concurrently works as the consultant for U.S. Agency for Global Media, and he is the Creative Director of RFERL, Belarus Service. Uh, Mr. Vyachorka is a frequent speaker and advocate for democracy and personal freedom in post-Soviet countries. An expert in Russian disinformation, he recently published research on the Kremlin-backed media, Russian Orthodox Church, and think tanks as the Kremlin's soft power. Mr. Vyachorka is the Founder and Vice President of the Belarusian Cultural Initiative, Arts, (laughs) Siedzeva. In 2014, after the Ukrainian Revolution of Dignity, he launched a nationwide campaign promoting the national identity of Belarus. Before that, he served as the leader of the Youth Wing of the Belarusian Popular Front. After suffering through torture while serving under forced conscription in the Belarusian Army, Mr. Vyachorka, Mr. Viatorka's personal story became the plot for the award-winning Polish-French film, Viva Belarus. His work in Belarus has been chronicled by documentary filmmakers and recognized by many international organizations, including the National Endowment for Democracy, Freedom House, and Open Society Foundations. Mr. Viatorka was the first Vaclav Havel Fellow for RFBRL under Havel's personal recommendation. Mr. Viatorka has earned degrees from American University in Washington, D.C., in Warsaw University in Poland, and he has also studied at Georgetown University and European Humanities University. Please join me in welcoming our speaker. Uh,
1: thank you for such uh, uh, nice introduction. So today we are going to talk about Belarus and uh, Russia and Putin and Lukashenko and many other things. Just a few hours, a few hours ago, I was uh, featured by. A pro-Kremlin's um, page uh, working in Belarus, and they mentioned that I work for American and British intelligence on developing artificial Belarusian identity. And uh, they say that I came to Washington, to convince Washingtonians to, uh, to help Lukashenko to protect Belarus from Russia. So I'm like a double agent. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, this is not uh, new for me to be accused by uh, by Russian um, Anonymous, uh, Telegram, Facebook, and Twitter channels. But I think that also recognition of the uh, success and importance of what uh, I and my colleagues are uh, doing. So today we are talking about a very important topic. It's important uh, not only for Belarus, but for the region. Because Belarus was always uh, the playground, the uh, uh, sand feed you know, for Putin uh, when talking about repression uh, against opponents, control and civil society, censoring media. And now, uh, the politics implemented towards Belarus it could be the model for other countries in the region. So, in fact, Putin is trying to uh, manipulate national identity of Belarusians in order, potentially, to build, or to enlarge, or to expand its presence over this country. So we are going today to discuss uh, the latest development, what happened in Sochi when Lukashenko met in a few weeks ago. We are going to talk about what happened before. We are going to talk about the potential takeover. Uh, Is it possible, when, as well? And later, uh, I will try to present you the broader picture, how Russian media, political, social, cultural presence uh, look in Belarus. Uh, one year ago, we discussed uh, the presence of Russian Orthodox Church and NGOs. Today, we'll be focusing more on media, on military, and influence uh, on Belarusian elites by Putin and his cronies. So, the recent events uh, started uh, a few months ago, uh, and uh, it started during the uh, uh, usual uh, annual negotiations over prices on gas and oil. Uh, but before that, uh, Russian Duma Parliament decided to reconsider conditions of the oil exports, which makes, uh, which brings Belarus uh, to last significant amount of money from oil re-exports. So um, after this, when Putin uh, and Medvedev gave Lukashenko to understand that if you want benefit benefits from us or cheaper prices for oil and gas, you have to Uh, enforce uh, or, um, uh, how to say, uh, activate integration processes, Uh, Lukashenko's propaganda and uh, his media um, pushed some uh, aggressive rhetoric towards Moscow and Kremlin who was trying to push its agenda agenda over Belarus. Then uh, Russian media attacked Lukashenko and accused him of working for the West, for the U.S., that Lukashenko is the chair of our Russian-Belarusian friendship. And uh, the most significant statement, I would say it was uh, statements uh, by ambassador of Russian Federation to Belarus, Babich, uh, published uh, a few weeks ago, where Babich uh, clearly undermined uh, Belarusian sovereignty. And when he was talking about Belarus, he was using the term territories, Belarus territory. We respect Belarus territory, but he never used the word like nation or state, statehood. So what's happening now? Now we see the uh, competition of uh, uh, between between uh, uh, accusations. Uh, Russian media pro-Kremlin uh, groups and pages are accusing Lukashenko of being too pro-Western. At the same time, Lukashenko is pushing Uh, and attacking uh, directly or indirectly uh, Kremlin for the pressure. But the problem is that all uh, these policies, uh, all these words by Lukashenko, they usually uh, are not uh, uh, supported by real steps. So he accuses Russia for building more presence in Belarus, but in fact he is not trying to prevent Russia from Building and expanding its presence. So, uh, after this conflict happened last month, the Western scholars, stakeholders, politicians, diplomats started to discuss the potential takeover, occupation of Belarus, and um, um, and that prob- probability um, uh, and probability of this takeover in the nearest future. So, there are several reasons why we talk about takeover now. Uh, First of all, uh, Putin has to solve the problem of his terms. So the creation of the new union state will allow him to legitimate staying in power. If, for example, the Russian Federation formally will uh, legalize the union state and Putin will become the president of the union state but not Russian Federation. Another um, uh, reason for a potential takeover would be a strategical interest. So when uh, uh, Russia... Uh, because already now Russia has significant influence and presence in Belarus, but if Russia occupies and uh, uh, invade Belarus with its troops, it uh, takes a strategically important military uh, position. Uh, first of all, it gets the border control uh, over over uh, border with NATO countries, and also it takes very um, closely to key. And you know that the conflict with Kyiv uh, is not solved yet. And despite the temporary, uh, uh, not peace, but let's say that the delay you know, of war uh, actions, uh, the propaganda prepares and the military units are um, uh, collected, gathered actively on the border with Ukraine. So in case if Russia will get its troops closer to Kyiv, it can place it uh, a few hundred kilometers from the capital of Ukraine. So, and of course, uh, there is a third, lesser important, but also important economic reason for occupation, for takeover. Uh, Belarus uh, was not, Belarusian enterprise companies, all uh, branches of economy were not privatized in the 90s. Um, the most important are chemical um, uh, industry, oil uh, refinery uh, factories, which are strategically important for Belarus economy. And control over these uh, refineries in Mazyr and uh could not save Russian economy, but at least to, the, to diminish uh, the effect of Western sanctions. So what could be the scenarios of potential takeovers? What scenarios are discussed? We don't speak that these scenarios are already prepared, implemented, but uh, three scenarios. First of all, Crimean, which I believe is less possible. Green man, occupation, organization of the referendum, Uh, People vote for joining Russia, and um, through this referendum, Russia legitimized its presence and its uh, formal occupation over Belarus. Another one, uh, that's the usage of the uh, uh, next presidential parliamentary elections in Belarus. Uh, The the, the chairman of the electoral committee of Belarus, Lidia Roshna, announced that elections will happen, will take place in Belarus in, in this fall. And um, uh, all these pro-Russian channels in Belarus started to discuss who will be pro-Russian candidate in these elections. My personal opinion that the biggest pro-Russian candidate in Belarus is Lukashenko. But, <laughs> but uh, some uh, experts and some voices are saying that that could be someone from the current elite, could be someone, someone from KGB or someone from intelligence, Uh, who probably uh, is not known yet, but Russia could mobilize all its media um, power to support this candidacy. In this case, you know, they need uh, this candidate to get uh, enough support in order to organize the street protest and later, you know, to use this chaos, this political instability uh, to um, uh, introduce its army or military or special operation forces. And voluntary, this is what Medvedev proposed last December. Uh, prime minister of russia he said that uh, guys we have a <coughs> read an agreement with you since 1990s uh, when yeltsin and Lukashenko agreed about integration and creation of the russian russian union and he said so maybe let's just go back to that agreement and fully implement it according to that agreement the one currency should be employed uh, in implemented introduced uh, one market uh, no border control uh, and later one common election so common um, uh, common institutes of, of um, uh, power. Uh, so in this case, this deep integration could take much more than uh, a year or five years. But uh, this scenario is the most uh, probable, in my personal opinion. And uh, analyzing media presence and uh, all these NGO and foundation foundations uh, fu- funded by Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Russia, it shows that they are preparing not for the short term operation but for a long term to manipulate identity and to prepare Belarus for a peaceful um, joining to to Russia. So what's the problem? So is Lukashenko really defender of Belarus independence? Uh, Meeting here experts, think tanks, um, the state department, I I found out that many people believe that he is that he is protector of constitution, that Lukashenko is guarantor of sovereignty of Belarus, But the problem is that uh, everyone hears what he or she wants to hear. Because in Sochi, uh, Lukashenko praised Putin. And when journalists asked him, so Alexander Lukashenko, are you going to um, join Russia, finally? And Lukashenko said, everything is possible, why not? But are you ready for that? He asked journalists back. So later, uh, he uh, gave interview to Western media, where he said that, Guys, we are the best friends of European Union. You can always count on us. We are Europeans. We like Europe, and Europe is our strategic partner, and it's our future. So, a few months before that, he was talking to U.S. representative General Ben Hodges and others, where he guaranteed that Belarus is ready to uh, have uh, military training by NATO, that <laughs> we are ready to uh, work with you closely, uh, that you can count on us. The biggest problem is that uh, never listen to what Lukashenko says. And that's the biggest, uh, the biggest mistake of all opinion makers that they believe that Lukashenko really means what he says, because he is ideal um, uh, player for casino. Uh, he always know how, knows how to cheat and how to bluff, uh, and you and uh, he will bluff and you will never uh, realize that you were cheating. So what's Lukashenko is doing? So um, my answer is nothing. And that's the biggest problem. Because institutional expansion of uh, Russia uh, is happening now. Uh, it's happening on all levels. And uh, we will talk today what levels exactly. Um, Lukashenko is trying to increase control over the internet. And his people explain it that he wants to diminish and neutralize Russian influence, but so far all these uh, changes, all these uh, laws are um, targeting not Russian websites, uh, pages, channel and outlets, but oppositional websites and oppositional activists. So in fact, using this anti-Russian message to the West, he is trying also to destroy his political opponents inside the Belarus. And unfortunately, after 2016, no real steps on liberalization of electoral law, of media, uh, happened in Belarus. And that's uh, the biggest trouble. Because after Crimea happened, we got a little time of liberalization, a lot of opportunities, uh, blacklisted musicians started to give the concerts in Minsk, uh, gatherings in town. But later, all this process was delayed. Last year, uh, Freedom Day protest, which gathered uh, more than uh, 30,000 people in Minsk downtown. Um, was uh, extraordinary event, and uh, I think the next March twenty-fifth in a few weeks will be a test. Is this uh, was it just luck of activists, organizers of the concert, or was it really a change uh, of behavior and attitude of Lukashenko towards this day? Because this is a day when Belarus independence was declared in nineteen eighteen, and Lukashenko consistently refused to recognize this date and refused to recognize uh, Belarusian Democratic Republic proclaimed in 1918. So so Belarusization. This is what media, Russian media, are um, promoting. And uh, it's true that some steps um, towards Belarusization were taken by Lukashenko. He arrested some activists, uh, the most radical activists of Russian uh, media in Belarus. He um, organized state-run Day of Vyashilanka, which was looking like the Soviet uh, celebration, but uh, he he forced all these young pupils and students to wear national ornaments. And uh, he uh, established, he he erected the monument to uh, Grand Duke Algird, who is also Lithuanian Duke and Belarusian Duke and Grand Duke of Lithuania. And uh, this is very important because uh, Grand Duke Algird, he, um, this is the only Lithuanian Duke who, Actually, take over, took over Kremlin, you know, many years ago. But few, but few months after uh, the erection of this monument, he erected another monument, just 100 meters from there, to Alexander Nevsky, the Russian, <laughs> the Russian conqueror, you know, who, who was fighting Belarus. So he's trying like to balance, to play not only between west and east, but also between narratives. So this in the morning, he is more pro-Western and pro-democratic. In the evening, he's more pro-Soviet and pro-Russian. And um, you never know uh, what will be tomorrow. So sometimes it's very uh, funny to observe all these moves, but there is no any consistency in them. So let's uh, discuss the Kremlin's presence in Belarus. So unfortunately, Kremlin's presence in Belarus is the biggest uh, among all post-Soviet countries. And it uh, touches all the spheres all the sectors of the social, political, economical life. Um, There is no such presence in uh, Armenia, in Moldova, in Ukraine, in Kazakhstan. So um, last year, one year ago in this room I was speaking more about NGO. Today I will just give you a short introduction to the reminder what we discussed last year. Uh, That's a result of our research on the Russian NGO presence. They are well organized. They are sponsored by five uh, foundations. These foundations are built in the way how American NDI, IRI, NED, USA are built. So they have the same even the same system of giving grants, of making calls, uh, of even the reporting system. So all these Western uh, models were borrowed by Putin and now implemented in Belarus. So foundation Rosa trudnichs Compatriots Fund and other they financed church organizations, paramilitary organizations. A few weeks ago, the, another paramilitary uh, organization, Ro, Ro, uh, UNARMIA, Youth Army, Yunarmia was created in Belarus. It was the branch of Smolensk organization, Smolensk branch, uh, Smolensk uh, headquarters. And uh, that's not the first Russian organization officially uh, launched in Belarus. And uh, authorities, KGB, security services, do not do anything to stop them. And, of course, a lot of youth organization. I would say the only one youth organization which has developed regional branches is RUMOL, Rusmo Ladaia, like young Russia. It exists in every city, and they have access to all secondary high schools where they hire higher record activists easily. Uh, just to let you understand, the know, Belarusian opposition democratic organizations never had access to school. They never had access uh, wherever, you know. So... Um, it's, it's, uh, it's very uh, lucky, you know, to have access to school because uh, s- people in, in high school are, are isolated from the civil society life at all. And unfortunately, the first NGO that, that came there uh, was Russian one. So the goal of this Russian soft power, Russian NGO's organization, is to ensure uh, dominance of Russian information and cultural space and also to remark, you know, to, to cement. Um, Fixing you know, all this idea that you are part of, uh, of our narratives, of our history. And they also use uh, such sensitive things uh, as orthodoxy. So, orthodoxy is announced the uh, last shield, the last weapon of uh, Rus, Ruthenia, Russia, triune Slavic nation uh, against uh, Western uh, liberal gays and, uh, uh, and others. Um, and, of course, uh, pro-Russian organizations, they undermine Belarus language, Belarus history. They say it's artificial project, invented by Poles, by CIA, by Brits, by Jews, by everyone, and it doesn't have any justification for existence. So the map from the last year we discussed, um, it's, um, it, it's very spectacular because the majority of the organizations, especially paramilitary organizations, are um, 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 doing in the western part of Belarus, concentrated in the western part of Belarus. First of all, because they have symbiotic relationship, church and pro-Russian NGOs. Usually, pro-Russian NGOs are attached to the church, or use the church spaces, Russian church spaces, to make gatherings, to make events, to make concerts. And uh, there are no many russian initiatives and churches in the eastern part, which is traditionally, traditional, but since the time, very secular. Uh, and the western part, which was the part of Poland until the Second World War, uh, it is more Catholic. And what orthodox organizations are trying to do, they try to diminish Catholic influence, and, of course, the influence from the EU and Poland. And uh, these organizations are uh, broadly supported by Sputnik, Yandex, Mail.ru, social media groups. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, spectacular. If you will see the number of parishes, Russian Orthodox church parishes in Belarus, then, uh violet and the uh, deep blue color, uh, it means the more parishes in this uh, district. And you compare the map of the organization presence, you can see that more parishes of Orthodoxy, more organizations are concentrated there. So uh, this is very interesting symbiotic. Uh, a relationship, and I understood that many of these organizations are registered as the internal sub-organization, sub of the church. And uh, authorities are afraid to touch the church. So they are okay in arresting activists, radicals, uh, even journalists of pro-Kremlin's outlets, but they are afraid to touch uh, religious organization. So they use this church umbrella, in you know, order to build the fifth Russian column. Let's talk about elites. So, what are role of elites? Uh, what is the Kremlinology of Belarus elites? So, if, before that, we have to understand that Belarusian uh, society is, uh, is hybrid. It's not uh, finally formed. It has four major elements: um, Russian. It's since Russian Empire time uh, idea of this triumphalistic nation. Soviet. Uh, this is what. So, what is like built over Russian mentality, <coughs> ideology, identity. Orthodox atheism, this is another layer built over Soviet-Russian mentality by Lukashenko. Himself, he uh, identified himself as orthodox Russian, uh, orthodox atheist, orthodox atheist. And parochial, it's um, tutatio. That's idea of Belarusian, all Belarusian literature is built on this idea that we are Tutatia, we are locals. Belarus was so many times occupied by different forces, powers, armies, in the beginning of 20th century, that this became part of our national idea. So we are locals, you know, don't touch us, we are locals. Um, and uh, in fact, uh, the, the lack of this common understanding, common national idea, it helps um, foreign uh, players, especially Moscow, Russia, to manipulate, to destroy this identity. And uh, it, it becomes more and more vulnerable, especially when you use... Information tools and mass media. So uh, elites um, never were formed uh, with uh, a, in one common uh, nation idea. Uh, when Lukashenko came to power, we had different clans of elites. Uh, some of them came from Siloviki, uh not low but enforcement like uh, power, uh, power uh, like police, army, etc. But uh, all the elites uh, that surround Lukashenko now are technocrats or have technocrat uh, backgrounds. And in fact, they don't have any identity or any common set of ideas and values which uh, can create or shape identity. So they do what Lukashenko will say them. The problem is that Lukashenko is often unclear and uh, controversial to himself. So these elites treat his uh, directions very um, differently. So uh, Lukashenko is also playing with the Soviet myth, but the good thing that uh, young people, they don't know what is who is Lenin, they don't know what is Komsomol, they don't remember, they don't know what is communism. And the last year, when Belarus was only one country celebrating massively the one hundred years, 100th anniversary of uh, uh, LKSM, of October Revolution, it was everywhere, a lot of billboards, and uh, Radio for Europe made the survey, like the poll in the streets. Only one out of ten persons can explain what is October Revolution, what is communism, and who is Lenin. Uh, which, is, uh, which is not bad, because... Uh, so, it, in, the, in this situation, you know, it, it, it's, of course, it's bad that people don't know history, don't understand, but it also shows the possibility to build, you know, to recreate. So, it's still in the process of forming. The question is, who will have power to the instrument to influence this identity? Uh, yeah, and of course, we still have Lenin's. Uh, we didn't have such a parade of Lenin, uh, fallen Lenin's as it was as it happened in Ukraine. Even contrary, a few more monuments to Dzerzhinsky were erected. Dzerzhinsky was creator, creator of Stalin's Soviet intelligences and repressive um, um, agencies. Uh, they still use uh, coat of arms, the national emblem, which is very similar to LNR, Lugansk People's Republic, Mold- uh, Transnistria Republic, uh, with a Soviet star. Uh, and uh, school books don't know how to explain it. And of course, they still try to use in the army the Soviet uniform and play with this myth about the Second World War. Uh, how elite in Belarus looks very similar to Soviets. So there is presidential administration, like Politburo, and they decide on everything. And there are many, many local administrations and even local parliaments who don't decide anything. So in fact, the vertical is built very vertically. But even in these elites, there are several groups or several leaders of thoughts, guys who uh, participate in public life, who give commands to media, who um, react to social, political, cultural events, and uh, they treat um, different events differently. So McKay is the most famous here in Washington. He and his uh, colleagues are often visiting Washington, uh, trying to convince Washington stakeholders that Belarus is pro-Western, that we are ready to join NATO, and uh, Russia is uh, help us, to save us from, from, from Russia. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, usually after these talks, no real proofs of, of Belarusian pro-Western Westernness, uh, we, we can see. Rumas, um, another person uh, in um, government, quite new, he came from Western Belarus, and he, uh, he is the liberal economist. Uh, and so we didn't know, we didn't see yet uh, his political view about um, the Western or the Eastern way of development Belarus should choose. But he seems to be a big player, and he's very popular among young Belarusians. And Shunyevich, that's um, Minister of Internal Domestic Affairs, and he's a fan of Soviet time. He is always wearing MKVD. It's like former KGB uniform. He is um, attacking LGBT. He organized the full campaign against British Embassy when British Embassy raised LGBT flag. Uh, he uh, erected the monument to Russian policemen in Minsk downtown. And when people tried to hug or to kiss this monument, they were arrested and fined. And this is only one monument in Minsk which you cannot touch. Uh, but you can touch on the dog near the policeman. And it's very funny. And in all tourist uh, guides, there is explanation. So Minsk, only one city where there is a monument, which is a uh, criminal uh, um, uh, crime to touch the monument. So Shunyevich, uh, Shunyevich is the representative of these pro-Russian groups and pro-Russian um, um, forces uh, in the ruling elites. So I at a research list here. I try to analyze um, the character, the origins, uh, the views of elites in different times of Lukashenko's rule, because Lukashenko is in power 25 years. And I found out that um, elites, that the process of indigenization happened. When in the beginning of Lukashenko's presidency, in the half of his elites, almost half, like the third part were born in Russia, now almost all of them are born in, in Belarus, and uh, we see also the Westernization of these elites. Most of them are born in Western Belarus, so which is I, I cannot say is good or bad process, but it also something something happens uh, because Western Belarus traditionally in Belarus, was more liberal. And the more market-oriented, since it was under Poland under Second World War, uh, and the planned economy was introduced much later, and economically it was much more successful than the Eastern Belarus. So it could be explained that Lukashenko wanted more economy specialists in, in his um, uh, around him. Or another explanation: he also wanted to counterbalance Russian influence there. And of course, we can see the Russian um, presence. Um, uh, yeah, the Russian uh, ties, informal ties of these elites um, uh, by, by years. And you can see that uh, the last uh, seven years, we saw that 30% were tied to Russia. Usually, these are Russian generals or people who came to work in Lukashenko's uh, government uh, after working in Russian organizations or union, Russian Belarusian Union organizations. So, uh, but, but the fact is that Belarus exists in cultural, linguistic, and world view of the Russian space. Let's talk about military, short uh, briefly. So, um, I don't have illusion that Belarus military is the part of uh, a territorial group of, um, uh, of uh, troops uh, with Russia. Uh, when I used to be um, uh, in army, we were reporting not only to Minsk, but also to uh, Pskov Division. Uh, air defense is common with Russia for many, many years. So in this year, we will have uh, nine large-scale uh, military exercise maneuvers with Russia. And uh, uh, more than 100 different small trains with Russia as well. So interesting for this year that the scenario will be it will be similar to last year's scenario, that the Western, the Poland, or Lithuania attacks Belarus, occupy part of its territory, and Russians and Belarus brave soldiers are uh, pushing back and later attacked back uh, these countries. And uh, a few years ago, the scenario that the games, these maneuvers, finished when Belarus and Russian uh, army dropped a nuclear bomb over Warsaw. Um, so we never know how this um, games These maneuvers are finishing, but interesting that this um, maneuver should of the Union they should this year they should involve um, using of missiles. You know that they developed a very modern system of missiles, Uh, and we don't know who will be destroyed uh, this year, Uh, but it could be any any city of Europe or even United States of America, just be ready. Uh, and these are other maneuvers planned for this year, and we will see that all these maneuvers are not with NATO, as Lukashenko promised or Mackay promised, not with the European Union, not with the Poland, not neither with uh, with uh, Lithuania. So all these maneuvers are inside of Odekebe, the organization uh, of um, post-Soviet republic as alternative to NATO. I don't know the treaty of the collaboration and common defense, uh, which includes Belarus, uh, Tajikistan, Armenia, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, and Russia. And uh, you can see that uh, only first Slavic Brotherhood it includes, uh, in addition to Belarus Russia, it includes Serbia, and it will be good, interesting because they will be also training some military um, operations in Balkans. And you, the, le- the last, they include also uh, Egypt, uh, so Egypt also participates. Interesting thing that Afghanistan is a part, is a server member of at ADKB, this treaty organization which is created like to counter NATO influence. Uh, but Afghanistan this year doesn't participate in uh, Belarus-Russian maneuvers. Um, media, that's my favorite uh, topic uh, because I think that everything uh, relies on media and uh, all this Russian presence are built thanks to media. So what we, what we observed last year we observe the huge politicization of narratives. When last year we talked here, I was talking about the cultural idea that uh, pro Russian groups are trying to post on contacts of Facebook, Instagram, but now they are openly attacking the West, Trump, Brussels, Lukashenko. And uh, it's not only about fake news, it's also about uh, creating the discussion and creating the flow of the discussion. Uh, the idea, after Medvedev announced uh, his position that Belarus should integrate with Russia as soon as possible, all the groups, even non-political groups, cultural communities, pages on Vkontakte, it's a Russian Facebook, uh, posted the poll, uh, do you want to join Russia? Uh, or do you support the Belarus idea that Belarus should join Russia? All of them, hundreds of polls at the same time, published the same idea. Uh, it was supported also by regional websites. Uh, there are at least 20 regional websites created in 2018. They are not very popular yet, but they are uh, largely supported by Yandex, like Russian Google. Uh, Telegram plays a very important role, and uh, uh, besides the fact that Telegram is prohibited in Russia, all the fake news, disinformation about Azov Sea conflict when Ukrainian uh, sailors were blocked. It was distributed primarily through telegram channels. And we have um, information that uh, telegram could be controlled or somehow infiltrated uh, by Russian intelligence. Uh, Fakes and deepfakes. This is not only uh, what Chinese and Americans are doing well, but also Russians. And usually people on such networks like Adnoklasniki with very low media literacy, they are not able to differentiate fake from not fake. And if you create the picture, if you make a screenshot, you sim- simulate, you pretend, you fake the screenshot, people really share and believe. And uh, unfortunately, it's impossible to counter it. And I generally stop believing in fact-checking journalism. Because when you fact-check, you're always losing. You're always late. Because people, one hour, one day after the fake was published, they don't care already about this information because they moved forward. So instead of fact-checking and replying and countering each fake news, we have to build positive infrastructure, positive alternative. Um, Sputnik. Sputnik, uh, everyone was making jokes about Sputnik, all who were in Sputnik and all Sputnik is another propagandist channel. But in Belarus, Moldova, in Armenia, in Georgia, it's very successful. And Sputnik plays, like, adapts to local markets. In uh, Georgia, Sputnik is very nationalist, very pro church, very pro-conservative, um, moving about Georgian identity, and they supported this idea that Georgia should become Georgian. And the same in Belarus. Sputnik is one of few websites which uses Belarusian language, publish Belarusian articles, uh, report about Belarusian cultural events. And Sputnik's audience, unique visitors, are uh, visitorship is bigger than four larger news websites. Uh, and uh, Sputnik audience is Belarusian audience compared to other, many other Belarusian media which becomes dependent on traffic from Russian Yandex. Let me say about Yandex. Yandex is very interesting because Yandex um, has two media aggregator projects, Yandex Zen and Yandex News. So they lead you to the news websites. They show you the news you want to read, but very selectively. So there is no West America, or Radio Free Europe, or BLSAT TV there. <coughs> but what Yandex tried to do, they tried to manipulate the media models of media. So you can see the audiences in 17 and 2018 of four major news websites in Belarus. You see, it, like, it became three times bigger in one year. But now, please check the number of people who came from Russia and Belarus. In 2017, 82% of audience on these four major news websites were from Belarus. But in 2018, only 52 and 40% from Russia. So they inflate Belarusian media market, Belarusian media, with the Russian traffic. And these smaller media, which don't have support, grants, uh, who are finding like any opportunity to monetize their uh, content, they rebuilt their media models to uh, satisfy people who are coming from Yandex. And this is Cuckoo, the major uh, youth website in Belarus. You can see, in the beginning 2018, 14 percent from Russia. In the October, it was already 53, 52% from Russia to KUKU. Belarusian youth website. So what, what Russians are trying to do, they try to create, you know, you heard about uh, Russian autonomous internet. Uh, Putin is going to switch off all these social networks uh, uh, created on the West, like Facebook, Instagram, messengers, and to make sovereign Russian internet, similar as Chinese have now. And uh, what Putin wants, probably we assume he wants to do, he wants to make Belarus part of this, RuNet. net. That's not a new idea. They tried already in 1998. They discussed, oh, why we need to know this American uh, social services, Yahoo.com, Google. We can create our own. And they started creating our own. And now it's a time when they activate these services. So what they want to do, they want to leave a small channel uh, like China has. You can access, you know, some China websites, news uh, portals, but very, very limited way. And you don't know almost anything about what's going on inside. And the same idea is behind They want to have non-political, non-social content from the West, but they want to have all this content and information based on Russian infrastructure. And they want all these social service, social network services, media outlets, to save information on servers inside Russia, this is uh, very similar to what Chinese uh, started building ten years ago, and um, uh, and why they need uh, Vkontakte and Naglaski. Contacts and Niklasniki, they compensate in case of switching off Facebook and Instagram. People still have access to contacts and Naglaski, which are uh, basically copies of Facebook, Instagram. And sometimes they provide even more added value than Facebook. For example, they have a lot of free, illegal music, a lot of free, illegal video, films. And um, uh, this is kind of trade-off. They prepare their societies to the idea, guys, we are going to switch you off because we want your security. You know, there are many terrorists on Facebook, you know, many pedophiles on Instagram. So we are going to protect you. But yes, you will lose some features of Instagram, you will not post stories on Instagram, but we will give you this, this, and that. And they, they provide, or they prepare their society with the idea that they will be provided with entertainment, infotainment, a lot of fine stuff, but not politics. And this is the most dangerous situation, and no one has an answer, solution how to deal with it. Because if it will happen this year or next year, We, basically, people working in international organizations, media, will lose any influence to the people behind the new Iron Curtain. And traditional broadcasters like Radio Free Europe or Voice of America on Shortways will not work because the access to the information from abroad will be so difficult, will be so expensive, and people are now so lazy they will just like prefer to watch the nice, you know, TV show, comedy show, instead of like looking for the uh, circumvention tool to get to CNN or BBC website. And uh, they also work with two major vulnerable groups, which we never worked with. When I say we, I, I usually speak about Radio Free Europe, where i worked for, for some years. Uh, the young people, kids, under 20, and the seniors. Not seniors, or older people like 45, 50 plus, uh, because kids uh, have very low level of media literacy, news literacy, and older people, they usually um, are very, uh, don't have critical thinking towards information published on the social platforms. And at classic, that's an ideal platform for especially seniors, because they come there as to their second secondary job every day. On Adnoklasniki, on average, person spends 30 minutes per visit. People go every day here, to the specific posts or pages, to comment on Adnoklasniki. Some of our videos on Adnoklasniki have 40,000 comments, 50,000 comments, and the discussion lasts for four or five years. And uh, Adnoklasniki managers know very well how it works, and this is why they try you know, to fill out plastic space with very, very simple messages. Anti-Western, anti-liberal. And with kids, it's a different strategy. It's not about uh, anti-Western and liberal messages, it's more about uh, inflating them with entertainment. And this is where filter bubbles concept comes in. Because when you uh, go to social network, you are surrounded by people, posts, content, videos, produced by people who have similar views, values, ideas as you. This happened in the United States of America. Republican, uh, pro-Trump people, they saw posts by pro-Republican activists and supporters, pro-Clinton, they saw pro-Democrat content, and everyone believes that everyone thinks in the same way as as they think. And the same happened on Russian social platforms. Uh, I I made an experiment. uh, I am still in this experiment. I created a fake profile, uh, and I played to be like pro-Russian, pro-Putin uh, person, and I suddenly was surrounded by all these hundreds of groups, you know, like against the liberal, against gay, you know, join our new church, you know, Orthodox need revival, and I even got two invitations to moderate these groups, because they saw that I belonged to their Uh, ideas, not to their communities, pro-Putin's, pro-Krendin's, and they say, do you want to moderate? Do you want to volunteer? I agree, so uh, we will see. (laughs) And some of my friends, they already moderated in all the biggest pro-Russian groups. So it's okay, it's like embedding embedding activism, but uh, the thing is that I, in that filter bubble, I created for myself. Even if I'm subscribed for Radio Free Europe or Voice of America, they never show me in my timeline. I never saw it. Because I didn't interact with people who also like Radio Free Europe. So they see that they try to build my filter bubble according to my interests. And the system believes that my interest is to brace Putin to the end of my life. <laughs> and this propaganda is very smart also in the sense how it distributes. It works with influencers. So they found people like them who wants to volunteer to moderate the group be providers of their ideas and they empower them. So they don't try to do like 10 years ago, to build Russia today, uh, to build uh, Sputniks everywhere. They're trying you know, to build niche media, niche influencers, to find out people who have more than 100, 500 uh, followers and empower them. They want to participate, they want to do this. And if you're a young person from high school, you will be Happy that someone asked you to do something important. And uh, these narratives, this propaganda, are coming to the very, very niche communities, which we never reached, or which will never reach with the big media. Because media, like radio, for Europe they work with large piece of audiences. But achieving reaching people in small communities, villages, with a large outlet, almost impossible. And this is uh, the question I mentioned about Telegram. So all these groups with contacts and Telegram the same day publish the question: Do you, you do you want Belarus to join Russia? And it's not about the voting results; it's about uh, the idea itself. So you see the first question, the second, the third, and your brain is prepared for the idea. Why not? Maybe it's possible. I have to say I have to discuss with my family. You know, people started discussing it. And the way, the process of preparation of the society to this idea, it's already beginning of the occupation, of the takeover. And telegram network, it's very interesting, but it's a separate discussion. because telegram that's uh, amazing tool to distribute fake news. What Russians did, they created a lot of non-political pages, telegram channels, uh, which are mobilized, activated, weaponized in the specific moment, in the moment X, when something important happened, like it was Sea conference we saw how fashion channels suddenly started to ask about, to post the videos from the Azov Sea, that Ukrainian sailor, sailors are trying to attack Russia, to post some fake news about, like, that they, they have nuclear bomb on the board. Uh, and uh, the problem is that many people believe it because of lack of media literacy, because of lack of uh, critical thinking as well. Some of these channels are branded like Mesh. Mesh is one of the most popular Russian-speaking telegram channel in the world. but. It, is, it belongs to Russia Today. It's a part, officially part of Russia Today Holding. But other channels like Karaulny, uh, and hundreds other, they are not branded, and nobody knows who is behind them, who is posting there. And uh, another, and they also created the local channels. For example, the channel that attacked me this morning, that I mentioned in the beginning, Bulba uh, Pristolov, Bulba of Thrones. It's um, a channel for Belarus. It uh, writes only about Russia-Belarus relationship from the Russian point of view, imperialistic, imperialistic Russian point of view. But they have also this channels for Siberia, for Tatarstan, for Bashkartostan, for Kazakhstan. Also very funny, but also pushing you know, some provocative, sensitive uh, ideas. And the number of web page, websites, uh, existing both on social platforms and uh, uh, as a websites, uh, regional pages, think tank pages, uh, portals. Nash Gomil, veresti News. If you're interested, I can. I will be happy to share with you the whole list with numbers and um, statistics of their visitorship. But the problem is that not, uh, not. Uh, how, it's not so much of them, so far. But the trend. When before we had like two, three pro-Russian channels, one year ago when we discussed. Now it's like more than 25, and that's the problem, the trend where it's moving. And it's not only about digital media, it's also about paper, you know. They produce books, uh, praising Stalin again, praising uh, Muravyov, uh, a who was the uh, who pacificated uh, anti-Russian uprising, Belarus-Lithuanian-Polish anti-Russian uprising in 1864. They praise the BSSR, a life uh, of the Western Belarus and uh, Eastern Belarus. Uh, and here are six most vulnerable groups, uh, we still don't have solution for them. Uh, first of all, people who never trained to read news, to be selective in, um, on social platforms. Uh, the young people, who never, um, who actually young people, they are, um, you know, they always are protesting, like protesting generation, you know, and they try to be... Um, outside of this official formal paradigm, this is why when they see that their parents are coming to Facebook, they massively uh, organize exodus from Facebook. And now, for example, for last year, Facebook lost uh, almost thirty percent of people under thirty because their parents came to it. They, they moved back to contacts or to um, Instagram or to the new Chinese uh, network TikTok. Uh, activists and, of course, people nostalgic about Soviet past. We don't have such bad situation like in Moldova, where a communist uh, socialist won elections yesterday, but still, you know, the Soviet idea is living and is cultivated on the state official level. So what to do with media? I prepared here some solutions. So build media infrastructure. And that's very important because uh, we never had such uh, critical moment as we have now uh, and uh, such importance of uh, independent media and uh, we never had before such weak, um, such bad situation in the media space. For less than 10 years, no new outlets emerged in the Belarusian market. We need more research on Russian organizations and media and to analyze the content what they post. And, of course, to find out who is behind, how they are sponsored, how um, these grants are distributed among them, uh, how they coordinate their activities. Um, Cross-sector collaboration, it's it's pretty clear in my organization, Digital Communication Networks um, promote this idea that uh, that, um, success is possible when you build collaboration between educators and IT people, between journalists and uh, businessmen, startup authors, then uh, the solutions are coming. In Bratislava last December we had the discussion on media literacy and educators who work in high schools, professors came with many, many ideas. The only problem, they don't know how to implement them. Application, virtual reality, you know, the space, game, etc. And uh, we connect them to developers and they start doing things. And that's the solution what we have to embrace. Uh, content, infotainment, edutainment. This is already there, must need. It's not a question to discuss is it okay or not, but it's what we need to do. When before we had to write the book for 300 pages, now we have to make 300 Instagram posts for each page and to tell the story just in different form, in different way, because young people, they don't read books. They watch pictures and they watch videos. And community building. Here we have to support culture, history, and language, of course, but also uh, the product of the international broadcasting, not only the stories themselves, but the discussions on their stories, comment sections. We have to be present on comments as well. Not only make nice video, but also to participate in the comments under this video. And let me show a few slides about language. That's dramatic, uh, but I think language is uh, important antidote. Countries which uh, has lesser people speaking Russian uh, uh, on a daily basis, they are um, statistically less vulnerable to uh, Russian fake news disinformation and mass media channels. What happened in Belarus, Belarus was Belarusian-speaking. Because I heard here voices a few days ago, some official mentioned me, told me that, uh, oh, but Belarus is like Russian-speaking, you don't need Belarusian language programming because you understand Russian, you know, you're like Russian, but no. And that's a big mistake. Belarus was Belarusian-speaking in the beginning of 20th century. And what happened in Soviet time, you see almost 95% of schools We are taught in Belarusian language in the beginning of 20th century, when Belarusian independence was proclaimed in uh, the 20s and 30s. And now only 5% of school, school pupils are taught in Belarusian language. The same with book publishing. The red for Belarusian, the blue for Russian. How many books published by circulation in Russian and Belarusian? And magazines. During 20th century, the dramatic things happened. The language was almost destroyed. It's destroyed on purpose, it was marginalized, and only now, thankful to the civil society, it started to revive. But language is very, very important, because more uh, Belarusian language space, less influence of Russian-speaking uh, media working from Russia. And some you know, very, very dramatic numbers, only 291 students, you know, a almost half a million you know, studying in uh, Belarusian language in Belarus. Even students studying in uh, English and Chinese uh, bigger twice and three times, the number of students uh, that are studying in Belarusian language. And then, and during Lukashenko's rule, the process of rosification continued. So Lukashenko is not making Belarusization, not at all. Three, one 103 times the number of students um, taught in Belarus and dropped since 1990. There are some projects you know, to support Belarus and that's only a few of them, but just to give you an like, understanding. There is a TV channel broadcasts, uh, which broadcasts from Poland, um, the only one TV channel in Belarus, Belsat TV. It's illegal in Belarus, uh, but they cover a significant part of population on YouTube and uh, uh, and satellite. But satellite uh, usage is going down. <coughs> Uh, Bielsat, Euro Radio, Radio Free Europe Belarus, uh, and Radio Racja are four foreign broadcasters in Belarus and they are major content creators. Belarus Humanities Lyceum, I was uh, I, I have to the questions. Lyceum is underground, I graduated this lyceum, it's an illegal one, it exists in underground for uh, 15 years. Um, people receive Polish diplomas after graduation. European Humanities University moved to Lithuania after it was uh, prohibited, post in, in Belarus. Uh, but uh, always conflicts, corruption, scandals surrounded it, uh, despite all the support and all the importance of this institution. And Artsyadziba, Ziba cultural organization, is like hub of different initiatives, organizations that are reviving culture and language. Um, okay, I, I think we have to move to questions, discussion. Yes, yes.
0: The um, I was wondering I, I was um, back in the '90s when I, I noticed that I was wondering about the long term when um, the Internal Security Service kept the uh, acronym uh, KGB. But I was wondering if they if they had a plebiscite now, um, would it be like? Um, Crimea, would, would they vote to uh,
1: integrate with Russia or would they vote to be independent? Belarus? Yes. No. Uh, so that's the thing that uh, there is no independent sociology in an authoritarian country. But the numbers that we have from different centers, uh, which legally or legally exist in Belarus, only 6% of people, up to 6%, are ready to vote for joining uh, Russia. But 67 percent have favorable views towards <laughs> Russia. And the thing, the question is, are these 67 um, possible to convert to hardcore integrators or not? And this is why probably Russians chose uh, long-term tactics, mm. because they felt that it's not Crimea, where people were like, prepared in advance. Russians started to prepare you know, this idea Prepare Belarusians to the idea of creating common state only recently, compar- comparably recently. And uh, they need still like five, seven years not to finalize this process. Or to use some force, power, green man to, to intensify this process. But uh, if the voting and democratic voting will happen today, I don't think Belarusians will vote for Russia. Uh, also, because they don't have clear uh, personalities, personalization in Belarusian politics or um, public life. Uh, there are some activists pro Russian, but they're not like famous politicians. And uh, this is also a result of Lukashenko's authoritarian rule. He was always uh, fighting opposition so hardly that even now. Uh, uh, if Russia would like to create another pro-Russian candidate as alternative to Lukashenko, it would be hard to, to do because it's just like sterile, you know, like sterile space. Any other questions? Yes. Can you comment on what the major themes are for disinformation by Russia in Belarus and, and how those top themes might compare to major themes like other, uh, like major topics, you mean, yes? Yes. OK, I... Um, what's, what's the main... Like, like narratives, right? So... Um, I will. Uh, I have a um, separate presentation on this. Uh, we discussed last year. And even examples of this propaganda. So, for example, let me show this video.
0: Mama, скоро уже кушать можно? Сначала домашнее по географии и Потому что в Москве командировке в эти выходные. Здравствуйте. <ролоса> а! Что я заигрался? Вот.
1: На поезд. Чуть мне опоздал? Ух. Не сеичас получается, из-за Архангельска до этого скинул.
0: Белорусская.
1: <ролоса> иностранец? <ролоса> Какой тебе иностранец? Ты у меня все родственники из Беларуси. И сам я, из-под Богилева. Смотри, какие у нас яблочки там Угощайся. Вы в Архангельске а это Нет, пусть не уж
0: Беларуси,
1: а проснешься в Москве. So basically to, to explain, uh, they're going on the train, and the, the, the older guy are coming and saying, I'm from Arkhangelsk. It's uh, Russia. And the guy say, "Oh, you're a foreigner. It means you're a foreigner." And the guy, and the, the older man say, "I'm not a foreigner, because there is no border." And the guy, "No, but you're behind the border." And they say, "No, there is no border. You will see. You will, you will fall asleep in Belarus and will wake up in Russia." <laughs> and this, you know, this is one of these many videos produced by these Union State uh, TV channels. But be, be, besides that, to show you the examples of the content they create, I know we have limited time. Uh, that's the um, major narratives on the right, you can see. So Belarus opposition is marginalized, disgusting, disorganized, and Nazi lovers. Uh, the true history is Russia and USSR. Let's protect and promote our heritage. Belarusian language and history are ridiculous. USA, Paul, NATO, Russians are enemy of Belarus and Russia, but they don't have any chance. Democracy is the mess. Pedophiles, gays, Muslims, occupied. So those are major like, narratives are pushed in different forms through the social media. And these are just examples, like anti-opposition posts, you know, these thousands of these groups are generating. Like you can uh, look at fire, water, and how uh, police are beating opposition. Anti-Ukrainian, the Ukrainians like um, serve to Americans. Uh, The history revision that. uh, Russia saved your identity and your history, and you should be thankful to Russia that it protects uh, your your country, the statehood. Very orthodoxy, that um, uh, if uh, bombing other countries, this is a democracy, then I want to live in the dictatorship, on you know, the right, you know the post. So uh, this is uh, how Russia gathers. How American monkeys. Russia was fighting against the uh, American eagle. And the was democratic country in the world, and they showed them uh, the, the, um, the cemetery. Uh, the imperialism, it's everywhere. It's popular pictures. Stalinism, it's like um, anti-liberal uh, Stalin uh, souvenir. And on the left, it's map of the future, where Russia, uh, Russia is big, like USSR, and Europe is LGBT caliphate. Uh, USSR is the big desert of tolerancy. Uh, the Southern America is Venezuela. Uh-huh. Uh, Africa is uh, Syria. Uh, and Australia is Cosmodrome, you know, this uh, space station uh, Southern, it's like Soviet name of space station. And Japan uh, is the Kurili, big Kurili. And, <laughs> and Kitai is Kitai, of course, because Kitai is our best, best, best friends. Anti-Polish, you know that uh, usually they try to, uh, to to polarize, you know, to counter um, Polish, Poles, and Ukrainians. And they use it very often in, in Belarusian uh, social media segment as well. Uh, that you know Ukrainians are not respected in Poland. That Poles hate Ukrainians. You look Belarusians. Do you want to be like Ukrainians? Yeah. Any other question? Uh, we are
0: actually all out of time, so we.
1: So thank you very much. Uh, I will be happy to share.